Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Turn with me, Will, to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you all, for you, for all of you, consistently mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that's great about the gospel is that our promise of abundant life does not depend on our circumstances. It doesn't depend on uh, the cards you've been handed or dealt. Uh, It depends on whether or not you have abundance in a few things. And this passage that Harold just read in verse 3 gives you three of those things. And Paul touches on them in another place, and it's faith, hope, and love. And we usually think of that, those three together in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. These three remain, and the greatest of these is love, right? But we're going to take a look at what he says about them in verse 3 here tonight. And I want to do it with a mind to spur you on, to continue on in the work that you're doing for the Lord, and uh, to see the depth and the meaning of it in the day-to-day grind of serving. And sometimes it is a grind. That's why one of these is called labor. And so we're going to take a look at some of these things uh, tonight. But I just want to point out uh, some other passages that uh, really highlight this. In Proverbs 28:20, a faithful man will abound. We want abundant life, right? A faithful man will abound with blessings But he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. A faithful man will abound with blessings. Faith is one of the things that we must abound in. 1 Thessalonians 3, this is chapter 3 of the same book that we're studying from tonight. Verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do uh, to you. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's no surprise then that Paul said that these three things remain. If you want abundant life, focus on these three things, faith, hope, and love. And it's also no surprise that living abundantly in these things creates quite a testimony to the Lord. For, for onlookers who are seeing your work, that Jesus would call your light and your salt. And the Thessalonians in our scripture reading impacted people greatly in their abundant living in this way. Their faith toward God had sounded forth from 
they had sounded forth the word of God by faith, and it had gone out into all the regions about them. That's just in the few verses following verse 3 there at the beginning of the book. And I'd like you to open up to it because I want to point from verse 3 to some of the explanations, I think, that follow in the subsequent verses right there. But the first thing I want to talk about is, is the work of faith. Uh, this word work is the same word that's used in most places in Scripture. It's exerting energy toward a, uh, toward a, toward a product, the end product. And, um, but the thing that to notice here is that it is singular. It is the work of faith, not works of faith, which would conjure up in our minds the many things that we do and tempt us to think that if we do enough and if we do the right things, that God will surely be pleased and we'll go to heaven. But this is the body of work that you accomplish by faith, your work of faith, uh, the work that you do that stems from your faith. And so he says here, I'm remembering that when I pray to God, I'm bringing that before God for his remembrance. It correlates with verse 6. So I'd like you to take a look at verse 6 where it says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much, much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. You became followers of us and of the Lord. They became disciples. And disciples are followers who learn from their master and imitate him and they do works of faith and so they became disciples uh, it's as simple as that if you want to do works of faith and you believe then you begin to be a disciple of Jesus Christ we never lose track of that discipleship you never want to get off that track as a Christian of being a learner and an imitator of the master Maybe the master for sure, but also maybe those uh, who you can look to in the body of Christ and imitate their faith. We're told in the Hebrew letter to imitate the faith of those who have the rule over us, whom we have recognized as leaders among us so that we have something that we can watch and see and imitate. And so there's people also that can provide that, but we're disciples first and foremost. Hebrews 11 is called the... The Faith Hall of Fame by us. It's called the Faith Hall of Fame. And it's certainly full of some extraordinary feats. But they're ordinary people in that chapter that are listed from our Old Testament. Just ordinary people being disciples. Being followers of God. Listening to Him. Wanting to be like Him. Wanting to please Him. And biblical faith requires understanding and obedience. So in that chapter when we're reading about their faith, their work of faith, their body of work, what we always see is what they did immediately in obedience uh, of their faith. For example, uh, the very first one is Abel. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. So he did something that was a work of his faith, and he gave his excellence to it. And we can read about Noah, and that Noah prepared an ark. What did he do? He prepared something. He built something, right? And he prepared everything about it so that he could completely obey God and that some good product would come from that. Some good uh, uh, out, outcome would come from that. And we can go on to read about Abraham obeying and leaving his, his homeland and going to a new country. Sarah conceiving in her, in her old age. 
uh, Jochebed, Moses' mother, bravely hiding Moses uh, to try to keep him alive at, at the risk of her own life. Moses suffering with his people as an adult and then leading them through the depths of the Red Sea while the walls of, of water were, were uh, rising on each side of them. Rahab just simply receiving the, the spies. David slaying a giant and many more are mentioned in here. Some of them just the feats, not the names actually, right? At the end of the chapter. But we just see ordinary people, and some of these things are like, you know, giant slaying. Others are just Rahab, a woman with not a great reputation, but for fear of God, receiving spies. Jumping over on God's side and just doing a work that was essential to God's plan being successful. So they're they're just ordinary people, and just like them, uh, most of us are pretty ordinary there's a few of you that are extraordinary. I won't name names, but just most of us are pretty ordinary. Uh, all right, my wife's one of them. And uh, our, our, uh, our Christian work of faith becomes effective when it's done in God's way for God's purposes, no matter what the work is. It becomes uh, effective, and it's of faith when we do that. Sometimes, like I said, it's, it's big things. Sometimes it's little, little things. But... Um, when, it, when it's effective is when we position ourselves for useful service to the Lord. Do you remember how Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, uh, in, a, in a great house, uh, there are many vessels, some for honor, some for dishonor. Some are, some are used for washing the dishes. Uh, some are used for drinking out of. And he said, if anyone cleanses himself from the former, from the, from the dishonor or the filth, if you will, uh, that we're practicing in our vessel, that we become useful for the master. And so we just want to position ourselves to be useful and let him be awesome. We don't have to do awesome things. Sometimes we try, we look for those things, and sometimes, in correlation with what Anthony was talking about this morning, we may place our, a, a value upon ourselves by how awesome we think we do, but that's really not what we're seeing here at all in examples of works of faith, especially in Hebrews 11, the great Hall of Fame chapter. Some of them are just very, very simple things. Uh, So these daily tasks that we do make up a body of work that produces fruit to God. In another place, Paul describes it as some of you are an eye, some of you are a foot, you know, and we, we tend to think that one's greater than the other. He said, but none of you can do anything really apart from one another that's going to amount to anything. So our work of faith is something that we need to abound in. We need to abound in to have abundant life and produce good work for the Lord. Uh, That second thing in verse 3 is Paul is remembering their labor of love. Their labor of love. So labor is work intensified by the fact that they're working through stuff. Um, stress and distress. They're keeping on. It's steadfastness. It's endurance. It's working through things in spite of the hardship of it. That's what this word's carrying with it here. So that conflict can come. It can come from inside the body that maybe we're making it hard on each other to do work. Uh, either by not all of us contributing what we have to offer to the work, and so some have to take on more than others, or maybe we're just not treating each other right. Sometimes somebody hurts your feelings, 
Sometimes somebody offends you and that makes it harder for you to work through something. It can come from inside the body. It often does because we're like family and sometimes we're insensitive and sometimes we don't think through everything before we just go bullishly forward and do it. And so we have to bear with one another in love. Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, right? Bear with one another in love and keep the unity of the spirit. So you can't make unity. Christ makes you unified. The spirit gives you unity when you come in, into one body by the one uh, Lord who shed his blood. But we, he says, endeavor to keep that unity, right? And so we have to labor through stuff that goes on in the ordinary um, relationships of family. Also, things come in from the outside. Uh, when I say the outside, it might be people that are not in the church that make life hard on you. Maybe it's somebody at work that's making it hard for you to be a Christian and made, making it hard for you to hold your tongue uh, or whatever. It might be that circumstances have made things difficult for you. Uh, you might lose a spouse. You might lose a job. You might have some circumstances that uh, maybe financially that are weighing on you and making it hard for you to joyfully serve the Lord. That's a real thing, isn't it? Labors of love are when you work through things because you've been loved by God and you know that there's never a time when you may stop loving because things are just so bad for you. That we continue, we, we, actually, we actually grit our teeth and we continue to love and labor for the Lord through those things. Now, that has a correlation in verses 7 and 8. Uh, in verse 6, we just, we just read that they received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, but much affliction. There's other passages. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2, for example, just a few verses later, uh, that uh, they were in much conflict in this process of building the church. Okay, So we can see lots of examples where they were under affliction. But now look at verses 7 and 8. He says, you became followers, in verse 6, so that, verse 7, you, you became examples to all who are in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. How did they become examples? People knew that they were under duress and were still continuing on. So it's one thing to do good works. That draws respect it draws attention to your service so that people can see the love of God in you. It's another thing to labor out of love when people know that most people would throw in the towel on the church if people were offending you, that people would just lose heart if life circumstances were too great, but not you. You're working through things. And so people are taking notice of the point where, where they were examples here in Thessalonica and that we also can be. Just to flip to 2 Thessalonians in the first chapter, listen to this. Uh, here's kind of how it works. Paul says, we're bound to thank God always for you. So he's still saying, he starts out with saying, I'm still praying for you. Uh, Brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love, there's faith and love, and the love of every one of you abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your 
patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So you've maintained your works of faith in the second letter. You've continued your labors from love. And you've continued to patiently endure because of the hope that's in you through trials and tribulations. Now look at the effect it has. Which is, verse 5, manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Then he goes on to say, since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who uh, trouble you. Manifest evidence is what you have when, by nature, most people would just become disheartened, embittered, discouraged, quit on God, leave the church, become ineffective in church work, in their ministry, or even in their life, maybe even in their marriage. He says, but when you, when you persevere like this by laboring through it because of love, because of the great love with which God loved you, and you know that, and your faith is built on that evidence that God loves me, no matter what's happening here, he knows and he loves me, it becomes evidence to the rest of the world that there's a God and that God loves you and that he loves us. So it's got a powerful impact. <clears throat> Let's look at this last one. Patience of hope. We need to abound in hope, or I'm sorry, in, in uh, uh, yes, in hope. And um, this also is uh, singular. You know, your, your patience, your work, and your, your uh, labor, those are all the body of your work the testimony of your labor, and now the example of your patience. It's kind of interesting that those, those three are singular things. He says um, in verse 10 that what you're actually waiting for is for his son from heaven. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We are waiting on Jesus. And I think when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation, that he had in mind the death of Christ for his sins and that he turned him around from a grievous sinner to a useful saint. But he also wasn't ashamed simply to tell people, I'm waiting on Jesus. He's coming back. That's a little harder maybe for some of us in this day and age when there's predictions on Jesus' return coming and they come and go. People mock, and maybe you do too. And it's on the billboards when he's supposed to return and he doesn't and so forth. And so people, people kind of laugh and mock. They were doing that in their day. Peter said that. Peter said they would be asking in his second letter in the third chapter, where's the promise of his coming? All things are going on since they were just like they were from the beginning. Where's the promise of his coming? Paul said, you're simply waiting on Jesus to come. And while you're waiting, you have very, very important things to do. And that patience that you exhibit, especially through hardships, 
which is why we should count it joy, as James said, whenever we face trials of various sorts. It's because you have at that time an opportunity to really strive in love to prove your, your steadfastness to God, but also for other people to see what genuine faith is like and not just lip service. Uh, it's an opportunity to be an example, and it, it changes lives. And so, <clears throat> you know, it's one thing. The, the good works cause people to ask questions. Uh, laboring uh, causes people to see that there's something greater that you're living for, and there's a, there's a love there that's motivating you. But, but patient hope stirs people to, to ask questions. And that's probably why Peter said, be ready always you know, sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be, be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks of you a reason of the hope that's in you. Now think about that for a minute. People will ask for the reason of the hope that's in you. How do they see hope in you? Because of the context of hardship. Because of the context of the challenges of this life. And that you're a steadfast worker even when the chips are down, even when things aren't going your way and everybody knows it and you continue to go because you're waiting on the Lord to return. It's a powerful testimony. Your work in the Lord's church, just your daily work, the things that you do for people, the things that you do for your family, the things that you do to build up one another, they ultimately create a body of work that stands as an awesome testimony that Christ is coming again. And we're the first ones to receive that because we work together. And your steadfast faith encourages me. And your labor of love, especially when you're facing extreme difficulty, spurs me on to want to see the Lord Jesus come through. And that's why I think we can patiently wait together and uh, become a, a terrific testimony to people around. So I would say this, um, a lot of people... In conclusion, a lot of people would say, um, I haven't found my place in the church. I just can't seem to find my place here. It could mean a lot of things by that, but really what I, I think is a better way to ask that question and help people find an answer is maybe somebody would say, I, I really haven't found my work in the church yet. My work. What can I do? Not just who can I be or what groups do I fit in with or, you know. Um, but what would be the body of work that I could accomplish in this church? I think that if we can help our members, all of us, if we can help one another and new members who come in, they're baptized into Christ or they move in and they don't know many people and we have them amongst us even tonight, if we can help them to find out what their body of work can be, their daily tasks of service and to steadfastly serve through anything that comes their way, they'll become a great testimony to the rest of us. That's why it's so important for each one to do his part in the church. I'll leave you with those thoughts tonight. I hope it helps you through the week to not look at yourself as in a rut, but rather uh, in, a, in a routine of, of service to God. And uh, I want to invite anyone who is, let's say, disconnected from Jesus to put him on in baptism tonight. If you believe that he's the son of God, don't wait. Uh, confess him as your Lord. Make the commitment to turn from your sins and be baptized into Christ Jesus.
for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you feel disconnected as a Christian, find out what your body of work is, and it's going to be daily, just daily service to the Lord. Begin to serve Him. Look for the ways He's gifted you. Look for the ways He's given you abilities to contribute. And get in that lane and ride it. Ride it uh, all the way to heaven. Let's stand and sing this song that's been picked out for us. If we can help you in any way, let us know.